at some point we just were like, I've been doing this for like three months, like didn't really have any leads that felt good. And it's just like, we're not going to be able to close this round. Like, it's just not going to happen. What are we going to do? And at that, that, at that point, we were like, we need to get to profitability because that's the only way to survive. How are we going to do that? And like, we started figuring it out from there. Ground Up, episode 21. That was Andy Cook, co-founder of Tetra, talking about their experience trying to raise seed funding last summer. The company that he and his childhood friend, Nelson Joyce, had built was running out of money. So they figured they'd go the same route as every other software company. But Tetra isn't every other software company. For starters, its founders met in seventh grade. Okay, so while that has little bearing over the product itself, they build, market, and sell their product like neighbors. Humanly, pragmatically, which makes the song and dance of fundraising a little unnatural for both of them. Tetra is built on the premise of making collaboration and knowledge sharing easier. Naturally, Cook and Joyce are passionate about the potential of their product. So rather than chase funding, they decided to chase a much more ambitious goal, profitability. This is Tetra's story, and I decided to start it off not at the point of going to market or even building the prototype, but something much more interesting, their friendship. I was actually best man at Nelson's wedding recently, and <laughs> in my best man speech, I calculated it out. It's actually 58% of our life. Uh, so we met in seventh grade in uh, math class, Mr. Downey's class, and we've been friends ever since. So middle school. Wow, that's impressive. Nelson, uh, do you do you remember, uh, I guess, uh, how you guys first met? I don't remember specifically how we met, but I remember... One of the first times we hung out, I went to Andy's house and I we were into skateboarding back then. And uh, as a lot of seventh graders were, and I tried to ollie over a fish tank that Andy had just bought and I completely shattered it. So <laughs> it's a pretty tumultuous start to our relationship. He was pretty pissed. I forgave him last year. <laughs> it took a long time. Yeah. How much did you spend on that? 20 bucks? Something like that. Yeah, yeah after you founded a company. Right, right. So... Yeah, obviously a long time ago. Here we are, and you guys are, are co-founders of Tetra. But the you guys have been connected along the way uh, at several steps in your career. So uh, flash flash forward to to the days when you guys were both in college. Andy, you and your brother started a company, correct? While you were still in school. Yeah, my older brother Alex and I started uh, our first company, Rentabilities, which started off as a. Um, point of sale system that you could hook up to your rental store website and take orders online. So think like Shopify meets basically Shopify for rental stores, if I was going to describe it as that. Right, right. So that what when when about was that? Uh, so I think actually I might have still I think I was going into college when Alex started it. Uh, he started it really organically. My my father was a landscaper. Um, and my brother was doing website development and I taught, I was teaching myself how to code too. And my father introduced Alex to a rental store owner who needed help, uh, building like a website and it kind of ballooned from there. And then I joined it when I was in school at UMass Amherst and Alex was there too. So I think it was like 2007 or something. Uh, and then we got out of school and went on it full time, uh, in 2010. What was, uh, do you remember what was working back then for, for like acquisition? Like what, what types of stuff were you guys that, because this was, 
like light years ago, right? In in digital marketing, uh, in the digital marketing landscape. So what was working for you guys back then? Um, so we ended up scrapping mostly the point of sale system just because it was too much work for two people, and we ended up uh, pivoting to building a rental marketplace for stuff. So you could like come on the site, find all the local rental merchants. Uh, who had items, check their availability, their pricing, and book book it on, online without like ever calling a store. Uh, and our number one acquisition channel was actually SEO. That's how we grew basically the entire marketplace. And I do have a good story about that, uh, how we did that, which I can go into if you think it's worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because SEO in 2007, 2008, uh, much different landscape, a little, little easier to rank, right? Yeah, it was a little easier. We had a funny, we, we had a really interesting system that we built up. Um, and it's, it's interesting. So there's, there's this, uh, law called Gaul's law, uh, to get nerdy for a second, which is every complex system, when you trace it back more or less inevitably starts from a simple system. Uh, so we ended up building this super complex SEO system. I'll call it, uh, that was like 95% of our acquisition. But the way it started out was, I remember Alex and I, after work, because I was living in Hanover and he lived in Plymouth, were sitting in an Uno having a beer. And we were lamenting the fact that we couldn't get any of these rental store owners to put their inventory into the into the marketplace, right? We're like, why don't they want to do it? Like, why don't they want to list their inventory online? And I remember distinctly just being like, screw it. Let's just put it in for them. So I initially started doing it myself, realized like, okay, we could do it. Then we hired 250 people on Odesk <laughs> at the time. I put them through a training course. We took the top like 20 of them. And then we wrote another script to scrape down all of the rental stores that existed in the country in Google. And then we just give the rental stores to the Odesk workers and be like, input the inventory. And then we had one more script that we wrote that would auto generate landing pages for super long tail keywords. So like, Bouncy Castle Rentals in uh, Boston, Chainsaw Rentals in Kansas City. And then we just loaded those all up into Google and like over the next 18 months to two years scaled to like, I think we were getting like 500,000 uniques a season or something like that at that time. Did you have like a million WordPress pages or something? Yeah, yeah. We had so many, because we built the whole thing on WordPress, um, which I won't go into, but we had so many pages in the wordpress editor that we couldn't use the wordpress backend anymore we just broke it so (laughs) i believe i believe uh later generations would refer to this as a growth hack Um, yeah for the record i I hate that term but uh yeah i mean that was cool that's impressive and uh eventually at some point nelson you joined too right as as an intern yeah when you know, we were both in college at the same time. So I would, I was always super, and I was a computer science major. So I was always super interested in what Andy was working on. And I would always ask him about it. Uh, and when I graduated, uh, I was kind of looking for a job. And I think Alex or Andy, you, you were like, Hey, why don't you come kind of hang out with us, do some work as like an intern? Like we don't have money, but we'll pay you like, you know, below minimum wage to just come in and hang out. $5 an hour. Yeah. So like, <laughs> don't tell uh, the feds. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I, I did that for a couple months while I was looking for a job and, uh, it was, it was awesome. Cause like, I didn't know startups existed up until that point. So I was kind of brought into that world and like learned all this stuff. We used to listen to the, uh, 
What's that podcast? Mixer G. We used to listen to Mixer G. We used to drive in to work every day because we worked out of the seaport. So we would drive in every day together, me, Andy, and Alex. And it would be like a board meeting every day. We'd listen to Mixer G on the way in. And I kind of got exposed to that world. And I thought it was awesome. So, And so you you were sort of looking for a, a job and, and interning with Rentabilities at the same time. And then an opportunity with HubSpot came up. Right, Nelson? Yeah, I just happened to get an interview there. I, I didn't think I was going to get it. And like, I actually had Alex Nandy drop me off of my interview. <laughs> I got in the car that day and I was like, hey, by the way, I have an interview at HubSpot. Can you drop me off like on the way into work? And they were like, okay, sure. So uh, I ended up getting the job. I was an intern, uh, but I eventually got, you know, worked my way up into a full-time position there. But you had two offers, right? At, at one point before, uh, when you were an intern at HubSpot, you had an offer at HubSpot and then Alex and Andy also offered you a job too as well, right? Yeah, it was like a complete coincidence, you know, like I had left rentabilities and the agreement was always like, we don't have money now, but like once we raise money, like we'll bring you back. Like that was kind of the agreement and that's what I assumed. So I I always assumed that HubSpot was going to be temporary. But uh, yeah, coincidentally, they had Alex and Andy had raised money and I got two job offers within 12 hours of each other, the full-time offer at HubSpot and the full-time offer for rentabilities. And, uh, the, my boss at the time, David cancel kind of sat me down. He was like, you know, this is a, cause I was, I was, you know, want, it was a tough choice. So he was like, yeah, I mean, you're going to learn a lot with in a startup of three people. You're going to learn a lot like on this startup, which is much further along, but, uh, like, it's just going to come down to what you want to learn. And at the time I was reporting to Josh Porter, who was the director of UX and, and I, and I knew I could learn a lot from him. So. Uh, I, yeah, I decided to stay at HubSpot. Good. Yeah. What, what, in what year was this? Like what runabouts? Uh, it was 2011. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So HubSpot was still hitting its stride. Obviously. Yeah. It was like 150 people at the time. Wow. Right. And now they're like thousands of employees on several continents. So, yeah. so, okay. So just to recap, obviously you guys knew each other <laughs> as friends worked together at this startup post college. You follow this opportunity at HubSpot and as fate would have it, Andy, uh, Rentabilities ends up getting acquired by HubSpot, correct? Yeah, correct. Um, so we at that point had been, Alex and I, uh, had been working on Rentabilities for I think like three and a half years full time. Um, and then like years and years before that part time uh, while in college. And um, Darmesh was Darmesh Shah, the co-founder of HubSpot, um, was actually our first angel investor uh, in rentabilities. And so um, we got to the point where like we had made a lot of progress, but we weren't scaling the company at the rate that we wanted. And the industry was really challenging to work in. And it was a two-sided marketplace. So we were always just underfunded um, and under-resourced. And we had like done so many pivots that I often joke we pivoted four times back to our original point where we were like, yeah, the real business here is probably like a rental point of sale hooked up to a website. And there's a ton of like small players in here who are rental store owners who are like coding that up on the side and charging like 20 bucks a month for it. Uh, And we could grind it out, but like that doesn't sound good. Uh, So, you know, we we had just like tried everything and it was kind of just like, not this isn't going to work the way we want. Uh, so we like wanted to move on and then Darmesh and 
probably David got wind of that, uh, David Cancel. And they were like, hey, why don't we just buy you? So yeah, I ended up, I didn't tell Nelson. So I didn't really know what was going on. And we ended up going in for an interview with the VP of engineering at the time, Elias Torres. Uh, and I was sitting in a conference room and like Nelson walked by and he saw me and waved and he just kind of mouthed like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then we yeah, I had up, no idea that was happening. Yeah. So then we ended up uh, making a deal and I joined HubSpot in October 2013. Oh, so Nelson, you had been there for a couple of years at that point. Um, how did you first get introduced to, to Darmesh? You said that was one of the first, the early angel investors in rentabilities. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, great, great question. So this is a relatively funny story. Uh, so I, when we got, when I got out of college, uh, one of the things that I was like trying to figure out is like marketing, like how do we do marketing? Uh, you have a marketing degree. Yeah, and I have a marketing <laughs> degree, but like it was more or less useless uh, for what, like what we we're trying to do, which was like try to do marketing with no money and no contacts in the industry. Uh, so I did what I normally do, which is just went on Amazon and bought like the top rated book in the marketing category when I searched it. And at the time it was inbound marketing, uh, how to get found right. by blogging and doing content online or whatever the subtitle is. Halligan and Darmesh uh, wrote that. Yep, yep, Brian and Darmesh. Uh, and I didn't know who they were, but I remember I got the book and I read through the entire thing in two days, uh, which is like pretty fast for me. And I took probably like 20 pages of notes and like was super amped about this book. So I was like, oh my God, this is what we need. This is what we need to do. And so uh, at the end of the book, there was like a call to action from Brian and Darmesh that was like, here are our email addresses, write us with feedback. And uh, I wrote them this crazy email that was like, guys, this book is unbelievable. Oh my God, thanks so much for writing it. It had like eight exclamation points in it or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, what, can I come in and like take you out for beers? It'll be great. And like, <laughs> it must've sounded insane. Uh, and I, I went back and I actually read it and I've, I've shown it to Brian and Darmesh since then. Um, it was like hilarious. Brian wrote back and, um, but anyway, so I had read the book. Then I was in mass challenge with Alex for rentabilities. And one of the speakers, lo and behold, during the program was Darmesh Shah. So I like went out, got a coffee cause it was really, it was early, really early for me, which was like 11 AM. Um, so I could make sure to be awake. And when I was coming back up, uh, I'm getting into the elevator and I hear like, hold the elevator and I like, hold it and who walks in, but Darmesh coming to do his talk. So at that point, like when you're, you know, going up 20 flights in an elevator, talking to an investor, you should probably do an elevator pitch, uh, <laughs> senses of the word, but all I could muster. Cause I was just like, so shocked was like, good luck with your talk. And he was like, thank you. Uh, so then it got out, it was over and I was like, I blew it. So anyways, then I listened to him talk and I took notes during the talk because it was great. And I had my copy of Inbound Marketing in my cubicle. So I went back, got it, asked him to autograph it. And then when I went home, I wrote um, a blog post because I was like really into blogging about startups at the time and everything I was learning because I was learning so much. That was called 14 Startup Lessons from Darmesh Shah, where I basically just took quotes from the talk and published it. And it it got like 300 tweets at the time, which was a lot. And Darmesh even commented on it too. So at that point, like I got on his radar uh, and then like we became friendly and then we inevitably or eventually asked him to invest and he 
wrote back to us. Well, you wrote a blog post style email to him. Oh, right. Like yeah. A yeah listicle. No, you yeah, wrote a listicle yeah. to pitch yeah. him. Yeah. So we wrote, Alex and I were like, how are we going to get his attention? So we wrote this email to him and the subject line was four ways Dharmesh Shah can help two young Boston entrepreneurs. And there was like different tiers of like how committed he wanted to be. And tier number four, like the fourth point was like, invest in us. And so we wrote that on a Friday. Then I went out with my now fiance. Uh, we like just started dating at the time. And I got back uh, home and checked my email at like 2 a.m. And it, I, we had an email back from Dharmesh that was like, congratulations, you unlocked the investor commitment at 2 a.m. on a Friday night badge. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> Boy, that time Foursquare was huge. Uh, not so much anymore. Uh, Very topical reference. Yeah, and I remember just like, we were like, I was with Rachel at the time and like, we were so happy and like started dancing. Um, and it was like a, a great moment. So that's how I met Darmesh and then we just like kept up with him over the years. So very organic um, and yeah, that's how it happened. That's an amazing story. And then you end up getting acquired. So Nelson, after a few years of you working at HubSpot, Rentabilities gets acquired. Andy is is now working for HubSpot. And how did you guys? So you guys started working together uh, to uh, in collaboration at HubSpot as well. How did that come about? Yeah. So when so actually the day that they came in for that interview and I saw them, I got a call from uh, I got a call, which is weird, from the VP of Engineering at the time, uh, Elias. After he interviewed them, he kind of called me and was like, hey, you know these guys, right? And I was like, yep. He was like, okay, if you help me like get them here, like you you can work with them. He was like, that sound good? And I was like, that sounds amazing. Like I would love to work with those guys, you know? So uh, once they did join, uh, David Cancel, who was the chief product officer at the time, uh, he he kind of knew he wanted an exist. Like he wanted new blood, like like with existing blood, like kind of combined together to make us like a, a team to work on this new thing. Uh, so he put me and Andy on the project, and all he told us was, "Okay, like you guys are gonna work on this new project. Uh, it should be like cheap or free. It should do something with marketing, and like maybe it should integrate with WordPress. Uh, I don't know. And you have to use orange in the logo." And that was all he told us. So uh, <laughs> we were like, okay, like that sounds cool. So we had this charter to basically go build this new product for the low end of the market, which HubSpot like doesn't sell to. Uh, so yeah, we started off on that journey to build that brand new product, which was called Lead-In. So you, there was no name or anything. It was just make sure the brand, make sure it's on brand. Everything else is up to you guys. Uh, they gave us the name. They were like, I guess that's the other yeah, and then they were like, and we have this domain lead in L E A D I N. We think we you should use it. Cool. So yeah, it was one of Darmesh's like ten thousand domains that he owns. <laughs> pretty, pretty loose limitations, right? Make sure it's orange. It's called lead in, and it's going to be free or cheap. Go. So what was so? All right. So now you, the both of you, are now working together again. So, uh, so I guess Nelson, where how did you start? Like. What's that? Well, what does that first step look like? Okay, we ha- we have sort of our our marching orders. So where did you take that? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing we did was just like interviews with uh, potential customers. So I think we spent probably six to eight weeks just like getting people on the phone and who were the customers? Uh, like who were they? Yeah, so it was 
small business owners who used WordPress. That was it. Right. So, uh, like we, I think we wrote like a charter basically, like here's our mission. Uh, I think I have a screenshot of it. It's like, you know, our, our mission is to basically make marketing more accessible for small businesses. Uh, so with that in mind, we kind of went out and tried to find that target person, right? Like those small businesses. Yeah, we did a lot of, I mean, for lack of a better word, hustling, right? So like, I remember like I had known a lot of small businesses in the rental industry. So like leverage those contacts, like had a, I had done a, some consulting with like other small businesses that I had worked with over the years building WordPress sites. Like we talked to them. We went through all of our LinkedIn contacts and we were like, okay, who uses WordPress? And like reached out to all those people. I think we just cold emailed people like, hey, will you talk to us about this thing? Um, yeah, like I remember I found this site that did like interviews with WordPress developers and I just cold emailed every single person that they had interviewed. I think there was like a WP Engine interview series where they interviewed people in the WordPress ecosystem and I cold emailed like every single person on that they interviewed. <laughs> I like reverse engineered their email address and then uh, just got them on the phone. We, we did like, I think, 100 interviews or something. Uh, just in the first couple of weeks. And it was just like, you know, finding pain points, right? That had to do with marketing. Uh, so like in, in like the in the beginning, it was very exploratory. And then based on those early ones, we kind of got ideas. So then in the later ones, we kind of had mock-ups or like ideas that we would pitch to people. And then we kept like refining, refining, refining the idea based on like that, those interviews we were doing with people. So Andy, tell us about where where you ended up uh obviously the lead-in product i remember that uh back from the days when i was working in an agency i, I remember when that first kind of uh was launched so w- where did you guys end up after all those interviews yeah so we had done a lot of mock-ups and shown them to people and there was one mock-up that really stood out and we got uh extreme like an extreme reaction on which was just showing people the contact timeline like this is where this is where your lead came from. These are all the pages they saw, uh, and here's the form they filled out. And we, like we just had a mock-up of that. We showed it to people, and they'd be like, "Wait, this is a product?" And we'd be like, "Yeah." We'd be like, "Can I use it?" We'd be like, "Yeah, give us a week." <laughs> uh, so like we just landed on this contact timeline. It was also the most impressive part of the HubSpot demo too. Right. Yeah. So like we had that insight mixed with the insight. Like when people would do HubSpot demos, when the reps would show the person on the phone their contact record in HubSpot, like HubSpot's HubSpot account. So and that would that would always basically like blow people's minds. So it was like, okay, like not only is it interesting to like HubSpot customers, it's interesting to these people as well. So then it was like, how do we get this at like at quickly as quickly and as easily uh, as possible for people? Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, and I remember we were like, okay, this is it. And then we like brought it to David, who is kind of like our um, mentor. I mean, technically he was our boss, He's but our like, shit shield. yeah, we called him our shit shield because he blocked us from this is David, David Cancel. Yeah. David Cancel. Um, so you brought to him and we're like, this is what we're going to do. And he's like, okay, go do it. Uh, like you have my blessing. And so I remember we committed to building this in a week, like the first version, which was a WordPress plugin. Uh, and we got it done. We started it on a Monday and we launched it on David Cancel's website uh, on that yeah, he Friday. Was our first user. He was our very first user. Um, 
And the initial product was it, the way it worked was, uh, I wrote this super, super hacky, uh, I, we call we always called it the form parser, but basically it was a bunch of JavaScript that would intercept, uh, when a contact filled out an existing form on your website with an email address, with an email address and then would take that information, uh, couple it with all the pages that they saw and then put in a really nicely formatted contact timeline email and send it to you. And, and that there was, was the whole product. That was the whole product. There was no like settings. You just installed this thing and it just worked. Uh, and you gotta, you gotta remember that like at the time, like for HubSpot as a company to get, give that experience to a customer, it would be, you know, thousands of dollars in setup costs. It would be hours and hours of transferring your website over hours of replacing every form, every landing page. And like, I think the metric, this is probably not the case anymore, but at the time, however many years ago that was, it took like 120 days on average for a new customer to actually switch their website over to HubSpot. And here we were like basically giving people that same core experience. And all you had to do was install WordPress plugin and you would have it within like minutes, you know? So it was like, this step change improvement uh, like uh, in time to get that exp- like core value to people. And obviously people were, people noticed this, right? David, David Cancel and, and others because you eventually got more resources, right? So you went from, from being the two of you, right? Primarily working on this for a couple of years and then you got what, five, five more people or, or, or more. What was, what was that like? Yeah. So we basically operated lead in like a startup inside the company, like in stealth mode, more or less, uh, for like a year and two months or something like that. And over that course of time, we had built up an entire product that at least allowed you for like the middle of the funnel conversion tools to replicate a lot of what you would get in HubSpot, but on WordPress. And then when you hooked it up to MailChimp, especially when they launched marketing automation, it was like really powerful for, for a small business. It worked really well. Uh, so like we did that and then made the case to the rest of the company and like had to convince them more or less like, hey, this thing over here, people really like it and is a good idea. Uh, and we did that successfully and got, I think it was five people added to our team overnight. So it was like, okay, you have a team now, here it is. Um, there's a little more backstory to it, but it, like that's more or less how it happened. So the team went from like the two of us working alone side by side in the trenches to like seven people total. Um, we didn't really know what to do. <laughs> and this is kind of where the idea eventually, right, for for what would become Tetra was born because you you both had all this tribal knowledge that was built up on what you were doing, what was working, how everything was was built, but you didn't really have an easy way to transfer that knowledge to a new team that, that that was literally assigned overnight right yeah i mean we it was like extremely painful to like do that knowledge exchange with them uh and we kind of learned our lesson right and it was like well we're not doing that again you know uh so we started to look for a system to like write all this stuff down um we couldn't find one that we actually wanted to use like they were either like old and clunky or you know they just were overcomplicated. They weren't simple. Uh, so we ended up like hacking the solution together. But, you know, at, at the time, I w- we, we would always be looking for ideas for new companies. Uh, and that one kind of like stuck out to me. I was like, wow, someone should build this. Like, why doesn't this exist? And it kind of went on the pile of ideas. 
that we would always talk about together because uh, we always wanted to we knew we wanted to start a company together after HubSpot. Uh, but this idea, like we couldn't shake it. Basically, we couldn't poke enough holes in it where it was like obviously a bad idea. So we're like ninety five percent of ideas, like it was obviously are bad, like pretty quickly. So tell me more about the the problem that you were looking to solve because there was obviously Basecamp existed, right? There was things like that, or, or you know, wikis and and stuff like that. But what what was I guess like define the problem that you were looking to solve at that time that you couldn't find? Yeah, so we tried to use Basecamp um, to like do this sort of wiki type experience and Basecamp was good for doing updates, but like it wasn't so good for like structured documentation that you could give to someone and have them get ramped up in a new way. Uh, and then the other problem too is like people would just forget to check it, right? Like they didn't live in Basecamp. Uh, at the time, HubSpot used HipChat uh, and like that's how we communicated with our team because our engineering team was actually in Dublin. So they were five hours ahead of us. Um, so it was basically like, we're trying to use Basecamp and shoehorn it into this like wiki thing to get people updates and documented knowledge and like get everything out of our head. And it's not easy to access. We don't want to use the other solutions out there like Confluence because it's like way over bloated. And we don't want to use traditional wikis because they're just really clunky and you have to write a markdown. They go stale. Like why isn't there just like a Slack X experience that's really great to use for this tool? Like it seems fundamentally important for a team to communicate and scale institutional knowledge. I don't know if you had anything to add. So just, so I guess describe uh, how did this idea, well, how did it go from idea to let's, let's start a company. I guess describe that period where you guys made the decision to, to sort of leave HubSpot to start this company that solved this problem. So I guess, uh, Nelson, we, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, we we were like prescribed to the uh, idea of like tour of duties from like uh, Reed Hoffman's book. Uh, what's the name of it? The Alliance. The Alliance, which is like when you're working for a company, you should basically have this like mission that you're working on. And once you complete the mission, you should reassess whether you want to basically take on another tour of duty or just move on. So we basically got the got to the end of our tour of duty where it was like, okay, this lead-in thing is working, but we want to roll it into the main product, you, like turn it into HubSpot marketing, free version. Like, thank you for getting it to this point. Do you want to basically keep going with it? And we were like, you know what? Like, this is a this is like a logical breaking point where we kind of wanted we do want to pass it off because we do want to work on this other thing. So it was like an amicable kind of tour end of the tour of duty i would say so andy both of you both of you were on the same page really with that yeah we we had been talking for two years about starting our own company together and like what like as we were working on leading to hubspot we were like oh this is great this is like really good practice to see if we can even work together uh yeah so we got to validate the working right. relationship yeah which is like, huge it, which is most people only talk about validating the product idea but like actually validating the co-founder relationship was massively massively helpful you know because that that kills companies more that often than you know the product not being great yeah i think like the number one reason the obvious one is like why the number one reason why a startup fails is they run out of money but the number two reason is co-founder conflict like right and so we got to validate that beforehand um and like we're getting all this experience, like 
And we got the same money. <laughs> yeah, like we got to stockpile money. Uh, I and we think. got HubSpot stock. Yeah, like, so it's just, yeah, like we have, yeah, like there's just so many good things about doing that tour of duty inside of HubSpot. And like for me specifically, I had never actually had a job in my life. Like I had like done part-time gigs at like CVS and as a waiter, but right out of school, I started my own company and we literally, we didn't have know what we were doing. Like we just made it up and it was really good for me to see like, how does a high functioning organization operate? And so I got to take those lessons with me and roll them into how we run Tetra now, like HubSpot runs a great organization. So like that was really helpful too. Um, so yeah, like we were always on the same page on that we wanted to do it. And the, like Nelson said, the timing <clears throat> was really good. Like we had this idea we were excited about. And then I distinctly remember too, like having this conversation with my partner and it was like, okay, here's the deal. Like what's the worst that can happen, right? Like we go do this, we give it six months, we totally fall on our faces and we're lucky that we have skill sets that are in demand and the market is good uh, for people like us. So like worst case scenario is I just go get another job. Like, is that that bad? And you're like, no. So we decided to do it and take a shot on ourselves. So I'll add one more thing. Uh, At the time too, uh, I was like 27 or something like that. I, I can, Nelson's laughing because I can never remember my age. Um, <laughs> uh, but I was basically like, I'd had the startup experience, had done the, the gig in HubSpot and was like rearing to go. And it was like, okay, these are the years to make a bet on myself where like I have the skill set to do this and don't have all of the obligations that come with like having a life, right? Like, kids or a mortgage or anything like that. So it's just like, this is a good time to do this. And this is something that I don't think a lot of startup founders necessarily think about, but like, and, and this isn't like a rule, a general rule either. It's just something you kind of want to think about. It's like, are you and your co-founder going to be able to weather the storm of like the ups and downs and having the same like life situation and outlook, like just makes that a lot easier. Um, cause like you kind of have the same expectations out of each other too. So that, that helped a lot too. Sure. So timeline wise, this is what 2015 ish before that. Yep. Yeah. It's October, 2015. So you guys leave HubSpot to start Tetra. What did that first, uh, that first iteration of the product look like? And, uh, yeah, br- bring us up to speed on how that initial sort of prototype launch went and, uh, where that took you. Yeah, so I mean, we did literally the exact same playbook for Tetra that we did for Leaden. I mean, it worked. So like, why change it, right? So we did the interviews, we did the mock-ups, we showed people, got people excited. We launched that first version very quickly uh, within a couple months. It was built. Uh, on, it was built on Slack, though, or no? It's built on WordPress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> WordPress is like the reoccurring theme here. We but, basically uh, rebuilt Basecamp. <laughs> I'm wearing a WordPress shirt right now, actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, we we took we took like WordPress and hacked together a theme that like basically turned WordPress into a wiki. Like it has the posts, the comments, whatever, uh, and then the categories. And then we we gave that to people, and basically no one used it. Uh, like people were excited about it, the idea of it, but uh, we just didn't get good adoption on that initial version. 
So we were kind of scratching our heads and this, it just coincidentally happened to be the same time that Slack had just launched this like brand new platform. So we were kind of looking at that and we were like, huh, this is interesting. Like, I wonder what building on their platform would be like. And at the same time, we were like, okay, everyone we talked to in the initial interviews was talking about Slack and how much they love Slack. So we went back to some people and we were like, well, what if we, it was like connected to Slack? Like, are you interested in that? And people were like, yeah, that would be amazing. Like, can I turn that on now? Right. And so we were like, okay, like, let's, this is interesting. Like, let's try to rethink the product in this lens, basically, like in the Slack first lens. So over the holidays, it was probably like, I think it was between like Christmas and New Year's. We spent the, like, we literally rebuilt the entire product. We deleted the first version of the product and completely rebuilt a new one from scratch, like on top of all the Slack APIs. Yeah, we used their APIs as our back end and just built the front end. Yeah, so we basically just built a front end that would like access Slack files and you could like organize them in like a wiki type thing. Uh, and so we were like one of the first apps in the Slack app directory. Uh, and we showed up first for like Slack wiki, like in the directory. And I think on Google, we started showing up first for that. And like right away, we got like hundreds of people signing up like super excited about it, getting tons of feedback. So at that at that point we were like, okay, like there this is the idea, right? Like this is the the right lens, this is the right angle for what we're trying to do. So like we need to double down on this now, you know. And from there, you you talked about you spent some time ranging uh raising a round of of funding, right? Because uh, it was just the two of you and you knew that if this if somebody had come along to try to solve this problem with more funding that they would they would essentially get there first right so you spent some time trying to raise funding how did that go andy yeah so that was primarily my job um and we, we had been bootstrapping yeah we had been point. self-funding it um off our savings uh from working at hubspot and saving money um for like six months but yeah at that point we got we had validated the idea we were getting some like crazy signups from like Fortune 100 companies who were interested in doing this, using this product. So we were like, all right, we need to go raise some money. Um, so luckily, we had gotten to know a lot of the HubSpot executives who had worked there um, over the years. And we were actually able to um, loop in some early angel investors with out of ton of effort, I'll call it. So the first person we actually got to commit to the round was David Cancel. Um, so we had a plan. We had like been planning to <clears throat> meet up with him, hear how Drift was going. So we went over to his office to drink a beer with him, I think. And like we're talking, we're catching up. We're, He's the CEO of Drift. Yeah, now. the CEO of the Drift. He had left HubSpot to start a, a new company. Um, <clears throat> and we were like talking, shooting the shit, and like you know we're getting ready to wrap, wrap up. And He's like, okay, well. When you raise when you're raising funding, let me know. And Nelson and I had basically decided we were going to raise funding like that earlier day. that day. <laughs> and so I knew that that was the moment. And so I basically was like, "Well, we are raising funding. Are you in?" And he just was like, "Yeah." And then I was <laughs> like, "How much?" And he told me he told us the amount. And so then I did what uh, people tell you to do, which is like you got to repeat it out loud, right? So. It's like, all right, you're in for this amount. He's like, all right, I'm in. And we shook, and that's how we got our first commitment. Uh, yeah, so then from there, like we, uh, Mike Volpe came in, who was super, super helpful with introductions, and he's just a great investor to have on your team. Uh, Mike brought in the Boss Syndicate, which is an angel list, um, like 
fund where people who are deemed bosses in Boston, since for like Boston operators or something like that, can pull in this funding. Um, it's like a bigger check. I think it's like 250K. So that got us to like 300K uh, right away. And our goal was, I think, I think originally it was 350K. And then we're like, ah, oh, this is going to be easy. We yeah. should, we should get more. We should do 650. So we made a plan to do 650. And then just nothing happened for like four or five weeks. We couldn't get anyone else in. And it was just like super hard. And I remember being like, I don't know if we can do this. <laughs> we have enough. This is fine. like, we were like, we have enough. We'll just take the 300 and like get back to work. Uh, and then like a couple of things fell into place. A lot of the other HubSpot executives came into like Darmesh and a um, couple of the other ones too. And we filled out the round pretty oversubscribed. Yeah. Oversubscribed. That's the, pro- the proper word there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We ended up raising about uh, nine, a little over 900 K. Nice. And what, what, so what were, what were the priorities from that point? So you had built this initial product, gained some traction on Slack, raised some funding that would help you guys sort of move quicker, maybe add some resources. So what were your priorities after that round? Like what did you hit the ground running with? So we, I mean that, that version we built on Slack was like a total prototype. It really wouldn't scale for us. So we like the first thing was like rebuild the entire product for uh, a third time. For number three, uh, (laughs) And you named it, right? You named this project? Is this when you started that? Uh, yeah, no. it did have a name, but did it's it? different. Oh, different. yeah. This is, we like we naming. Our convention. We like naming things. Uh, so the original version of the product was called Mega Man. The Slack, the Slack, the API, Slack version. API version. And the new version that we were rebuilding from scratch we called Zero. So if you're familiar with Meg, like the video game Mega Man, there's uh, or Mega Man X in the beginning of the game, you're like, really weak and like you get your ass kicked by this boss and then this other guy comes in called zero and he like destroys the boss like instantly so it's like a way more he's like a way more badass version of mega man so that's how we called it mega man and zero (laughs) nice yeah so we were building this new badass version called zero uh so we hired some people to kind of put that together and relaunch it uh and we worked on it ourselves too right yeah we were there too obviously so these were your first hires Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Oh, I mean, there's just so much to do, right? Like in those early stages, like, so, I mean, all right. So we get the commitment from David, we get the commitment from Mike and boss. And then we're like, all right, we got to rebuild the product again. So we brought on our first engineer and then it was like, oh yeah, like we haven't incorporated because we just didn't bother to incorporate by then because we didn't know if we were going to still have a business in like four months. So we had to do that. And then it was like, we don't even have a bank account. Where are we going to put this money? So then we had to like open a bank account. So like, and then and we're like building the product. So yeah, you're just like doing all that stuff and figuring it out. And like, that's just how it goes in the early stages. And w- so what did acquisition look like? Who, who were, uh, did, did you have a niche that was working and, and how were you acquiring them? So the best thing we did, we did a couple things, but like, one of the one of the smart moves that we made was getting on the Slack platform really really early because there was a lot of pent up demand there and people were exploring and looking for apps. So in the early days, the Slack platform directory was like our number one source of acquisition. And then alongside of that, we also hyper tooled our SEO uh, on our marketing site around the term wiki for Slack 
which was an emerging term. Like right. there was no competition. Yeah. There wasn't much volume. Yeah. You could like check the keyword volume every month and it would like go up and up and up. So you're like, all right, I think when we started, it was like, you know, 30 searches a month, but then the next month it was like 90 searches and we were like, all right, this is going to continue. Um, so we ended up like ranking, I think like second for the term Slack wiki right underneath the Slack Wikipedia article. Um, and like that was basically our primary source of acquisition in the like entire early days while we were building the tool. Like that's how we got people to talk to and show the prototypes and like get feedback. And like in the early days like that, you don't need you don't need a ton of trials or people coming in. Right. Like you just need a couple or like a, maybe a dozen or so every week to learn from. Uh, and then like you can just rapidly iterate from there. How has that evolved over time? So, you know, in the early days, you said in the Slack directory, you drove a lot of uh, signups, a lot of traffic, which I'm sure it, it still does. Um, but you guys recently launched a, a podcast, uh, Org Uncharted, which is phenomenal. Our listeners should should definitely go and check out. You, you know, you've 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 opened up other channels as well. So how is how is like your mix evolved as as time has went on for acquiring new users? It's still a lot of SEO, I would say. Like we write about knowledge management. Uh, so there's a lot of that, uh, like th the content stuff. So we have this whole like micro site or like community site, I'll call it destination site called uh, Culture Codes, which is all about uh, it's got a collection of all the different culture decks from companies uh, around the world. Uh, we do interviews with people who kind of run culture stuff at companies. And like so that part of the biz, that part of the acquisition, it's like a very long term focus play, uh, like a lot of people are saying like SaaS is being commoditized now, right? So the only way to really compete is to have a great brand. So like that's why we're investing so much in that stuff because uh, we think like over the long term, we, we can build that up. And like it doesn't show up every month in like trials, right? Like I can't like prove that all these trials are coming from that like immediately, even though we're spending money on it. But it's more of like uh, the things that are hard to measure are probably the best arbitrage opportunities, right? Like things like podcasts and things like building a brand. Like if people can't measure it, they're a lot less likely to invest in it. And so like we see an opportunity there. Uh, I mean, that's the idea. Maybe it, it will fail miserably, but <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the idea right now. It's fun to work on at least. You know, yeah. and we're learning a lot too about culture through talking to these other companies too. So it's good. Yeah, it's kind of like getting a mini MBA, like learning about company organization and culture. So there's like a, that selfish part of it too. Yeah, but I mean like so much of this stuff, especially in SaaS, which is like commoditized and especially in a space like ours, which has been around for like two decades. And the reason why, like we're saying it's commoditized because it is so easy easy to build SaaS right. products now. Like so much of the infrastructure is like, you know, abstracted away. Like everything we do is on Heroku, you know, like you, if you need features, like there's so many services that like you just add features to your product, like file uploads or auth or Stripe. whatever, Stripe, you know, like so much of the work that you used to have to do 15 years ago, like setting up PCI compliant, you know, <laughs> payment processor, like all this crap you don't have to do anymore. It's like, it, it's, it's, it just costs a lot less to start SaaS companies now. Yeah, and so like really the answer is just like we just try stuff, you know? So like a good example of that is a couple months ago, I was like, all right, people are asking questions about knowledge management on Quora. I'm just gonna answer a bunch and figure out ways to organically weave links to Tetra into the answers. And like, lo and behold, I spent a few hours on that. And then that month we got like 15 new trials from Quora. Uh, 
it's like we just do stuff like that and just try experiments, measure them, double down on the ones that work and kind of don't do the ones that don't really drive uh, a good value exchange of like time to effort. But for the short term stuff. Yeah, for the short term. And then that's like half of it. Yeah. And then we invest heavily in brand over the long term. So at some point, and uh, Nelson, you you had sort of told this story when we we profiled Tetra a couple weeks ago on the Databox blog, you had sort of reached a decision where, you know, it was appropriate or you wanted to raise more funding. And that didn't go the way you guys had planned, obviously, which which led to, again, you guys like to name projects and double down Project Gemini. Uh, so, so talk a little bit about that, Nelson, about that period where, and Andy, uh, that period where you tried to raise more funding, um, how that went and what that led to. Yeah, I'll take that one because, again, my job was to go out and raise the funding. Um, so we had raised about 900K, which at the time I didn't realize it, but put us in this kind of weird spot where we had raised more than like what is now called a pre-seed round, which is like you don't really have a product, you don't really have a team, it's just like two founders or three founders and an idea, and it's enough money to like get you going to validate it. So that's usually about like up to 700K or so, at least in Boston. Uh, we'd raised 900, but we hadn't quite raised a seed round, which is usually like 1.5 to 2 million. And that's like enough money to get you to your Series A, which has like dramatically different benchmarks as well. So we were like, all right, we're going to go out and raise a second seed. Uh, like, <laughs> the fact that these labels matter. Yeah, also it's stupid. Is stupid uh, it's dumb. But uh like, all right, we're going to raise a second seed round. We're going to go out and try to raise like 1.5, maybe 2 million. Um, really the because only way. Had to. Yeah. Like we're going to run out of money. Our burn rate uh, was higher than the amount of revenue we were taking in. And like, we also weren't on the trajectory to have our revenue go up over our burn rate by the time we ran out of money. So that's called default dead. Which is the way you're supposed to do it, quote unquote. Right, yeah. Um, so we're like, all right, we're going to follow the traditional startup path and like go raise more money from seed investors and, you know, like 1.5 to 2 million. That'll like give us X, Y, and Z to get us to our Series months, A, yada, like yada, 18 yada. months, like all that crap. So I go out and I'm like talking to these seed investors, you know, and like, they would just ask, like, they would ask questions and I, I get why they're asking the questions and like doing the, the diligence. But, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I know how startups work. And someone like someone asked me a question like, well, what's your 18 month roadmap? Like, what are you going to build? I'm just like, it's dumb to have an 18th month roadmap. You're probably <laughs> going to get it wrong. You're going to like totally misfire and end up in the wrong spot and run out of money and die. Like we talk to our customers and figure it out and we don't work more than a month out, you know? And then they'd be like, well, how are you going to scale this? Like, how are you going to scale acquisition? What are you going to do? And it's like, well, we have a lot of experiment ideas on our experiment board and we're going to systematically test them one by one and double down on the ones that work and not do the ones that don't, you know? And like no silver bullets. Yeah. Like there's no silver bullets. The phrase, yeah. The phrase I always like to say is there's no silver bullets. There's only lead fucking bullets. Uh, and so like, no one wants to hear that though. Everyone wants you to, to sell them on it. And like, that's just not us, you know, like we're very pragmatic, we're pessimistically optimistic, I guess I'll call it, uh, where like we default to something like it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. 
Uh, like we're going to be pragmatic about this. And I, I think that's just like the product background in us where like it's so easy to get excited about a new product and bet on that and just assume it's going to work. And like if you do that enough times, you learn over time that like maybe you shouldn't be so optimistic because you end up building the wrong shit. And so we're really good at product in that way where we like take the pessimistic view on that. But it also makes you really bad at fundraising when your brain's programmed like that. Um, so we just didn't have any luck. Like, you know, we got we got a few no's outright, which I always appreciate because I don't have to waste my time. We got a bunch of like MIAs, which they just disappear. Uh, and then we got a bunch of like meetings that I had to go to like five meetings and answer the same questions over and over again um, to like different partners and stuff. And at some point we just were like, I've been doing this for like three months, like didn't really have any leads that felt good. And it's just like, we're not going to be able to close this round. Like, it's just not going to happen. What are we going to do? And at that, that, at that point we were like, we need to get to profitability because that's the only way to survive. How are we going to do that? And like, we started figuring it out from there. And thus project Gemini was launched. <laughs> Which we had a, a live look at you guys were, were, were kind enough to share your dashboard of Project Gemini, which kind of marks like all the, you know, uh, key metrics that you guys identified as like, this is, you know, this is, this is how we're going to track our yep. progress toward profitability. Current yep. MRR is on there, net new MRR, activation rates, all that kind of stuff, which is in your article you guys were cool enough to share. So yeah, I guess what did that, how did you land on? All right. Okay. So Project Gemini, we have to get to profitability. What, what was next? Like you had to decide, all right, what, what are the things that are going to get us there? What did that whole sort of prioritization look like? Spreadsheets. <laughs> A lot of spreadsheets are next. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, I'm of, I'm of the belief that projections are more or less bullshit. Like, because you're just making stuff up, right? And it's like, oh, well, like, how are you going to get to $100 million? And like, no one says this, but the real answer is I'm going to go to the cell with our growth rate and change it from like 0.1 to 0.3. And then we're going to get to $100 million in five years. Yay. Like, but with this type of thing, I put together like a crazy spreadsheet um, just in Google Sheets that had all of our expenses, a realistic outcome of linear growth, like, yeah, linear growth. Like, okay, we did $1,200 net new MRR last month. The next month, we'll probably do $1,250 net new MRR, like that type of thing. And then I just had toggles for like all of the expenses and stuff too. Uh, that I could like toggle them on, toggle them off. Um, and yeah, we just like figured out the permutations from there, uh, like on how we're going to do it. So it was like grow revenue, cut expenses. I mean, we could, we wouldn't have been able to do it unless, but we had always left this path open. Right. Like we never fully jumped into the grow or die thing like which probably is why we couldn't raise fundraising but it was like or one of the reasons why we couldn't because we always kind of left that out for ourselves because like to us failure is not not having a billion dollar business to us failure is shutting down the company and like that was the thing that we wouldn't we're not gonna allow happen you know allow to happen so that was basically the worst case scenario to us whereas case scenario to a VC is like your company isn't worth a billion dollars in the worst, years. the worst case scenario for most VCs is your company 
is us struggles along <laughs> and never is a billion dollar company, but refuses to die and they have to keep spending their time with you. And like a lot of them are pretty upfront about that. I think there's even a term for it too called zombie companies. <laughs> so, so Nelson, you actually shot me an email. I think it was like last week and, and you were like, you know, great news. We, we were profitable this month. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I know we talked when we wrote the blog post and you guys were sh- sort of shooting for spring, right? As, According yep. to your projections, uh, you know, which you know, projections, projections are bullshit, right? Um, <laughs> bullshit in a good way this time. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> That's the so, opposite of bullshit. so this happened a lot sooner, right, than expected. Yeah, uh, I'll take that one. Um, so it happened sooner than we expected. Um, so there's a couple of reasons there. One, we were able to cut expenses more and just like spend less money than I anticipated, um, which is always a good thing. Like, most most companies uh like it's like revenue 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 but no one really talks about the other side of the equation which is like cost 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 cost, cost. cost. <laughs> like revenue minus cost equals profit uh and so like if you're able to cut your costs dramatically let's say by 50 percent, that's like increasing your revenue by 50 percent, right it's a lot easier to cut costs than increase your revenue so we cut costs faster than expected we also grew revenue faster than we expected too like we had our third best month of net new MRR ever. And we did that without a sales team. Like, yeah, by, by spending less money on acquisition and sales and just kind of letting people use the product and stop bugging them, right? we ended up to get, like, getting more money out of that. So it was kind of nice. Yeah. So like we ended up coming in three months before I thought we would. Mind you, like that's the difference of like a couple thousand dollars, which is like, it seems like a long time, but when you're not you know, making tens of thousands of dollars of new revenue a month. And it's more like tens of hundreds of dollars of new revenue a month. Those like small tweaks, like add up to a couple months difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great surprise. I didn't even realize it till the end of our month. And then was like, holy shit, like we were profitable <laughs> last month. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulate. I mean, that's massive. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. and you know, you, you both have talked a lot about like vision and, and you know, what success looks like and, and how that's, you know, the, the VC mentality has co- contradicted that, which you're not the first one that's been on this podcast that said that. Um, so I guess I, I'll, I'll end here by, by asking you both this question. And Andy, we'll start with you is what, uh, what is the vision for Tetra? What, what will success as defined by both of you look like? I mean, it, it's evolved over time. Like originally when we started the company, the goal was to bootstrap it and never raise funding and to get to $10,000 MRR so we could split that down the middle and never have to get jobs again, right? Like that was the original version of success. It's become a little, it's become more ambitious since then. Like for me, success is waking up in the morning every day, loving going to work, to work on the problems that we're solving, loving the team that I work with because they're smart and ambitious and I get to learn from them. And then we're also working on a product too, which I think can actually have, and I I know like everyone always jokes, like we're changing the world, but like, I think Tetra actually could have like a fundamental impact on the lives of thousands of people as more companies use it. Cause like you're, you spend a third of your day at work, 50% of your waking hours typically. And most people hate their job. Right. And like the reason why is they don't know why it is the things they're working on and they're not empowered to make good decisions. And like Tetra actually helps companies do that right they help disseminate information through the companies so people know why they're making decisions and then give people the power to make the decisions and report them back to whoever they need to 
so it's just a really awesome mission that like pumps me up to work on. So if I got to do this for the next 25 years, that sounds awesome to me. Nelson, what about you? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, if you looked like, if we did go the other path, it's like, what's the best case scenario? It's like, okay, well I would get like, we would have some exit, right? Either go public or get bought and I would get a bunch of money and then I would start a company again. So like I would literally end up in the same exact spot. Right. So I've, I've just decided like, well, I'm just going to skip all over all of that and just like keep doing what I'm doing now. Cause I like doing it, you know, like I like running the company. I like building the company. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm happy. You know, uh, I don't need, I don't need some crazy destination to satisfy me. Like this is satisfying, you know, as James Taylor says, happiness is enjoying the passing of time, which that's what I think we're doing now. <laughs> I think that's a hell of a way to end, right? James Taylor quotes. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> we, we can't do better than James Taylor. Uh, nope. Well, th- thank you both for coming on here. This, I love the story. Uh, loved it. You know, Nelson, when you and I talked a, a few weeks ago, super excited to have both of you on though, to talk about sort of the origins, where you're headed and, and some of the challenges. But this is, this is a great story. Super happy for you guys. Congrats on, on profitability uh, a couple months earlier than expected. I'm just looking forward to, to the updates, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you back on ground up in, uh, in, in, in six months or a year and, and, and see where you're, see where you're at in, in regards to your vision. But this was great. Uh, thanks Andy. Thanks Nelson for coming on and, and being so honest, uh, about, about everything. So this is great. Yeah. I'm going to give one more, uh, CTA, CTA and call to Let's action. At HubSpot, we always, at HubSpot, we always used to joke. It's not a good presentation without a CTA at the end. Uh, <laughs> so you said that you love seeing the updates. So we actually decided that we're going to start publishing our monthly updates, uh, to our investors publicly. Um, so we're going to do that on Tetra. We don't have a good space for it yet, but probably just like, by Tetra the time dot, you're listening to this, it the, will by be the published. time you're listening to it, tetra.co slash blog um, or updates. One of those two. Well, you but anyways, tetra.co slash blog. Decision made slash okay. blog. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we'll have our updates on there so you can follow along with the journey as we uh, build a big company. Shoot me the link. I'll include it in the show notes and uh, and, and, and the blog post that we write uh, to promote this and, and I'll throw it in there so everybody can follow along. Sounds good, man. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for having us on me. and cue James Taylor music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know if we can get the copyright for that, but but yeah, yeah. Uh, to all our listeners, imagine James Taylor playing as, as we make it here. Right yeah, there yeah. we go. Thanks singing it. All right, see you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.